Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on the Ringer and Spotify. Spain are through to a World Cup final, but at what cost? That's what we're going to talk about. I'm joined by Jesse Bar Humphreys, Ian Wright, and Mark Andreas joining us again from Barcelona. Guys, how are we feeling? It's like a weird subdued sort of World Cup situation. Ian, I know you come from the pub, but it wasn't your mm. best pub experience. No, it wasn't, no, because we went there with all the right intentions of going to the pub, having some beers and watching the game where you're like neutral, not bothered who's going to win it. And we didn't see it, like for the first 25 minutes it glitched, man. So we didn't see it, we didn't see the first 25 minutes, yeah. Yeah, to be honest, it wasn't a classic. Yeah, but like it was um, in the end, like you said there, Flo, about how you feel. Obviously, you're, you're happy for anybody who gets to a final. But there's something about um, like Vilda that I, I can't be happy for. But like I'm, I'm happy for the girls. I'm happy for some of the girls. You know, I don't know how to feel, Mark. You know what I mean? I'm delighted, and I'm kind of like a little bit sad for the people who are not there, really. And how the girls feel? How the girls feel in the camp who did stay? I don't know. I don't know. I honestly feel like the the villain is is winning. I'm just. I'm just not happy that Spain's having success because I don't think that Spain as a country deserves this success because they're not doing and they're not doing things the correct way. And I'm not saying that my opinion is the best and it should be done like how I feel it. But when you have a federation that cares more about gaining more professional, gaining more economic value than sustaining the, their elite level league, when you have a federation that cares more about uh, friendships and and uh, maintaining their seat than they do results or process of results, I just can't be happy. And and I also I understand everyone and anyone that feels happy for the players. I understand that, and I understand that the players know that this is a World Cup, and you may only get one go- uh, World Cup in your life, or for some of the players, this might be their last World Cup. But I just can't be happy for them because they, some of them, turned their back on on their team uh, in October, turned their back on the captain when she was being humiliated. This captain and these other players that have been humiliated, some of them have come back to the place that humiliated them publicly. So, I, I just I just can't feel happy. I just can't. Yeah, I, I I completely get that. I think it's you know a lot of a lot of Spanish fans and journalists and the players themselves in an awkward position. We're obviously going to talk about the game itself, Jesse. Just before we do, um, what were your initial feelings? Because it it is a very weird situation for all of us at this World Cup to watch one of the most controversial teams with uh, such a long now drawn out. Um, D- divisive battle going on within the squad and with the coach reach a World Cup final. It's a very strange situation. I think I feel very similar to Mark. And I think it's one of the like most down moments I felt after a football match for, for quite a while. And and it's not down, obviously, in the sense of like my team losing. You know, I don't feel like I do if like Chelsea go out of the Champions League or whatever. But equally, I think... I love Spanish football. I watch a lot of Spanish football. I I really like watching lots of these players and they're players that I would normally ostensibly want to root for. But like Mark touched on it, it just comes in such a situation whereby you feel like you can't. And that's a shame. That's a shame for those players as well. 
you know, I think something that's like really <laughs> overwhelmingly frustrated me, which I kind of tweeted about after the game is that like the situation with the Spanish team itself is one thing, but I feel like the way it's been talked about and the way it's been discussed, um, including on commentaries around the game today is another that it's so frustrating that, okay, like this is the situation, what it is. Spain are in a world cup final and to a certain extent, you have to give credit to them for being in a World Cup final. Whether you want to put that on the players, whether you want to put that on the coaching staff, you know, credit has to go somewhere ultimately. But that's also a platform to talk about what's been going wrong and what players have been put through, whether they're here or whether they're not here. And I think it's really frustrating that that is a moment that's being missed. And actually, I think that's what's left almost the most bitter taste in my mouth because we whatever sort of role we play within the media like we can't control what the Spanish Federation do about Jorge Vilda but people do have the power to like talk about it and make people understand it and we know that this World Cup is an opportunity for lots of people to come into the game lots of people who are watching these sides for the first time engaging women's football for the first time and I think it's really frustrating to see that those opportunities aren't being taken and that is part of what allows these things to continue to go on yeah I especially feel like with some of the the commentary that there's been like actual commentary of games there's been a lack of understanding of what's actually happened a lack of probably research that's been done with people um, not really getting to grips with what the dispute is and why certain players aren't here and just thinking that they're not here because they're either injured or didn't make the squad or whatever and that paints a very different picture to whether you actually understand all the facts. Let's get into talking about this game, though, actually, um, because it was a it was a bit of a, a strange one and we're, we're going to break it down. We're obviously going to talk about what this means and, and the fact that it is a, a first World Cup final for Spain and also the impact this might be on the players that didn't make it as well as Jorge Vilda. So let's get stuck into that after this. Mark, I'll come to you first because um, it was a very tense game. Um, it wasn't probably one of the best we've seen from Spain, certainly in this World Cup, but it wasn't necessarily a classic semi-final. Both teams, you know, especially I think Sweden approached the game very smartly, tried to limit the space that Spain had to work with and it, it, it played into their hands really well, but they just couldn't really create enough. Um, I thought we were getting to that point where we were getting into sort of like Sweden time, where they could squeeze it into extra time, squeeze it into penalties and they might be able to find a way. Obviously, the goal just changes the whole dynamic of the game. But what did you make of Spain's performance? Let's you know, take away obviously what the other stuff we're talking about for now, but just looking at Spain's performance, say, what did you make of it? Well, uh, first of all, um, when I look at Spain and what they did today, I have to be honest, I didn't quietly understand uh, why Alexia Putellas was uh, starting in the starting lineup because, I mean, I, I think she's a phenomenal player. I, I, I can <laughs> on my Twitter feed, I've campaigned her for the Ballon d'Or she, she has. But I do feel that she's not uh, at 100%. And I do feel that this World Cup has shown that she's not 100%. And I do feel like uh, that Esther Gonzalez played a, a really key role in uh, doing damage against the Netherlands. So I didn't quite get why uh, this this change had to happen. The other change was forced, obviously, because Oyane was suspended for uh, for uh, yellow cards. And 
and Olga had to start. I love the game that Ona Badle played. I thought that uh, on a game where Sweden had the physical advantage, she played a really smart and physical game. And uh, well, she proved that um, the the English league, and I'm going to pander here a, a little bit, the English league has prepared her uh, for uh, for a really tough challenge and all the all the physical challenge that Rolfo may have given her, Aslani, Blackstenius, and such. And then what worried me in the first half about Spain and ended up, I think, uh, worrying me the whole game was um, the ability of Sweden to, in in like have Aitana not be a factor at all. I think Sweden did a really good job against Aitana and also won the runs that Alba Redondo likes to make from the edge of the box inside the penalty area. I think they did a really solid job at that and limit the the opportunities that Spain had. With that in mind, uh, and Sweden Sweden feeling probably comfortable with the game, uh, the two centre-backs, uh, Irene Paredes and Laia Kudina, played uh, really solid and didn't allow many, many chances uh, against uh, Sweden, which... And I feel I really feel that Sweden really only was better in a, in a sense of being better in the game in a, in a style of play way, like 15, 20 minutes of the second half. Yeah, I thought they were very um, like what they was doing to China. They were trying to to just force Spain, try to to press Spain in 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 the in when Spain are trying to build up from the back and win it in that middle area of the field, what I saw of it by the time the bloody thing came back on. Um, you know, what I saw, but like, I look at them and yes, Rolfo, the way she cuts in, she comes inside and makes that extra midfielder. Um, I just feel that up front for Sweden, I just, I just don't fancy them to score. I don't fancy them to, I don't, I do, you know, Stina with all, uh, you know, you know how much I've been a massive Stina kind of fan, you know what I mean? Obviously my, from my Arsenal bias, You've been standing up for her when the rest of her been tra- the rest her. of us have been dragging through the mud. Yeah, you know, were and like I've, I've watched her very closely, and you know, I'm just hoping that um, you know when she gets back to Arsenal, you know, hopefully with Kelly Smith and that she can they can give her a little bit more, and like I don't know, like street smarts in the way you play the game, in the way you keep the ball in certain areas, in the way you try to. You try to get the ball and give your defences a bre- defence a breather. Try and put Spain under pressure with her natural physical presence. What she has, her touch is poor sometimes up the top end. You know she doesn't hold the ball when she should. She, you know things that you know. I don't fancy her to take that chance if that's how Sweden are going to play. So you have to feel that it was always going to come down to a, a form of set piece or something was going to happen. I know Ertik came on and. And, and edit it back across the goal and they scored. It was going to always have to be something that direct. But I just thought as long as Spain just stayed doing what they're doing, at some stage they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to break them down. And I was very surprised. Paraluelo, I, I went like watching her the last game and how good she is on that left side. Obviously she wants to get on that left side. She's very strong. She finished with her right foot very well, but she's such a presence and such a danger. I couldn't understand why she didn't start. Couldn't understand it, but. I didn't fancy Sweden apart from a set piece. The longer it went on, I've, I felt more and more that Spain were going to be able to, to run out winners. It's frustrating as well because I think Sweden had such a big opportunity in how they, they played the game to then build on that because they kept themselves in the game. They did limit the space that Spain had to work with. But, but they you have just to take had... a half chance. Even Stina's yeah. head, that one what came across. Again, I don't know who the director was who is watching for, for Optus, but... 
You know, we, so they, they had that cross. Steena missed the header. I don't, we was trying to look back at it so as I could see if it was just poor technique or she wasn't close enough. They never showed a replay. So I don't even know what happened with that scenario. But like, I was trying to justify myself by saying if she gets a chance, she's going to take it. And then that chance came along and she didn't take it. And we didn't see another replay. I don't know. Can you remember the, the chance I'm talking about? Yeah, it I think a so. He a headed chance. And I don't know yeah. why she didn't get her head on it. So I just felt like, again, you know, I, I just didn't feel like Sweden have the half chance taking person that you're going to need against a Spain. And then even with the goal, I think the winning goal, the goalkeeper's massively at fault there. You know, I didn't think it was a, ma I didn't think it was a laces, real rocket blaster. She hit it with the inside of her foot. I think the goalkeeper was trying to look for something because she seemed to be on the right side. And when the ball went in, it went in the middle of the goal. You know what I mean? Her hand, she got her hand to it and she still couldn't tip it over the bar. It, it was one of those that you look at and you think, um, I'm probably a bit disappointed with my goalkeeper with that one. Yeah, I think it was really disappointing after Musevich had a pretty good tournament to yeah. go out like that. Zajira ball finally yeah. arrived yeah. at that point. That was the exactly. real Zajira. <laughs> the real Musevich had to come out at some point and unfortunately the superhero just mm. had to retire at the end of the day. Jesse, Mark mentioned Alexia Pateas. We spoke on the last episode about whether or not she would start, whether it's a, a fitness or a, a personal issue between her and Vilder after everything. Um, she was pretty anonymous today, but she did start, which I was surprised about. Why do you think it took so long for Vilda to make any changes when Spain just so so obviously didn't really have a grip on the game. I find it very hard to delve into Jorge Vilda's <laughs> logic. Um, and it's tough in these situations because I was talking before the game about why they didn't start Salma because Salma felt like the obvious player to start I do think she you know she's very young and I think we saw for example in the Champions League semi-finals this season like she can go missing in big games I think we've actually seen that in the World Cup as well that you know sometimes if she she starts she doesn't always show up but it felt like against this Sweden back line she was a very obvious pick um and I thought it was very strange she wasn't playing um but in terms of Alexia I agree with Mark. It it doesn't look like she's fit, but I don't think she's not fit, if that makes sense. Like, or it just feels like there's something weird going on. And I do kind of wonder, like, I feel like different Spanish players are maybe dealing with what's going on in different ways. And I think having to come back from a massive ACL injury, not getting many minutes to Barcelona, going into this World Cup, being in and out of the team, not being like consistently played in a way that makes sense probably isn't helping her you know if you look at how Australia for example have managed Sam Kerr's minutes okay it's a very very different kind of injury but there's a very clear pattern with what they want to do whereas Alexia has sort of started games she's played full matches you know before the World Cup started for Spain and then she doesn't start and then she comes in and she'll play 60 minutes she'll be back out again you know she played 10 minutes against basically against the Netherlands you know I don't think that's a very logical way to bring a player back from an ACL injury if that's like what they need if they need their minutes managed and to that extent it just feels like the whole structure is a bit weird and I do think Jorge Vilda's maybe got away with how much he's rotated this team and how many sort of different combinations he's looked to use within his midfield and within his attack 
Um, and it felt for long portions of the game that Sweden were pretty comfortable with containing Spain, even though they had the ball. There was definitely sort of echoes of watching them play the US in that, yes, you know, they didn't have a lot of the ball and I thought they were probably worse in this game at sort of having an out ball and having someone to run on and like relieve some of that pressure. But equally for long periods, I didn't really feel like Spain actually looked like scoring. It's just neither did Sweden. Um, I think the Salma substitution was the thing that really changed that and bringing her on as a nine mm. was again yeah. something I was surprised about, but I thought it you worked really well, well in the end. Uh, Jess, um, just quickly, um, when you looked at the way Japan played against them, and it was like a, a constant, like it was constant pressure in every field. Every, every they they, ne- they didn't let Spain settle in any area of the field. And when they broke, like you saw, the expect the goal, the XG was off the charts in respect of them taking the chances. And it literally it just obliterated Spain. And that's what you have to do with Spain because they they will not stop trying to do what they do. They like it's like Man City. We know how Man City are going to play. We know how you can beat Man City, but then it's about going about and trying to do that. Japan done it in a way what was the most ruthless um, chance taken I've ever seen in, in, in a football match against a team that's trying to be possession and not knowing any other way to play. But like, if you're not going to take those chances, like I say, against Spain, they're just going to slowly just keep doing what they're doing. And they'll create. And like, like you say, Selma come off the bench and change the game. Yeah, and I suppose it's... <laughs> In, in some of our other conversations about Sweden, we had talked about relying on set pieces so much. When, you know, when does that, that run out? And the fact that Illestet was their top scorer at this tournament sort of says it all. And the one game where that trick doesn't really work, even though it was a fantastic finish by Blunkvist. And I think Hertig made a big difference actually coming on and maybe Gerhardsen should have looked to both of them earlier. But still, um, as soon as that doesn't work then everything going forward, especially when it comes to scoring goals for Sweden, it unravels quite quickly. Um, just want to wrap up on Sweden, though, before we dig a little bit more de- uh, deeper into into Spain. Do you think they'll still be happy with this run? Unfortunately for them, it's yet another semi-final defeat. And they are, you know, they have this unfortunate reputation of ne- always the bridesmaids, never the bride. But still... Going into this tournament, I sure as hell didn't think that they'd get this far. I thought they were going to flop and I've been impressed with how they've navigated it in a very smart way and not been particularly dazzling or pretty, but they've got the job done. So do you think overall top four, maybe a third place playoff win again, actually is not bad given yeah. their squads, uh, you know, probably overperformed a little bit? I'd, I'd probably say, you know, they're... Um, when you look at how far Sweden got, and at the start of the tournament, people were saying, yeah, fancy Sweden to get far, get up there because we know that they've done that previously. But I think that Sweden are, are, are a striker away from being able to, to win a tournament like this because I think that they've got enough defensively. Um, I think they've got enough um, to cause the kind of problems and be s- solid enough. Uh, obviously, I'll say that off the back of the goalkeeper's poor poor. poor or like, like goalkeeping for the second goal. But I think that they're a goal scorer away from taking that chance and then building on that personally. A proper goal scorer. I'm not talking about, you know, a, in Sam Kerr kind of vibe. But, you know, if they if, if Sweden had a striker of anywhere near that calibre, that I probably think they beat Spain tonight. You know, but like, they haven't got it. But, you know, so they'll fall short there. There's a couple of things. I think if... I think Fridolina Rolfo didn't feel fully fit. 
this entire tournament. And I think if we'd had a fully fit Rolfo, we'd have looked at a different Sweden team in terms of their attacking. But I agree. I, I do think they are, I think, a Rolfo aside, they're missing sort of killer instinct. You know, Johanna Rittin-Kanerud isn't a player who gets a lot of assists and goals. I think she's got a lot of things going for her. And I don't need to make my thoughts on, put my thoughts on Stina Blackstenius out again in the world. <laughs> We've got the um, receipts. My concern, okay. my concern from a Swedish perspective is also I feel like they've been so wedded to this generation of players across a number of cycles, which I understand, like you want to give it your best shot. But in terms of seeing those younger players come through, um, I don't know if we're like really getting that. Like for me, the standout player for Sweden today was probably Ellen Rubinson playing at the base in midfield. She had a lot to do with keeping Aitana quiet, but she's like 30. <laughs> she's come in because Caroline Sager's played at that position for so long. Like these aren't young players that are coming through into this team and and that's my concern. Obviously, we saw, for example, Hannah Benison score that fantastic penalty against the US. There are players in and around the squad. Madeline Janogi, we didn't see a huge amount of, but she's amazing for Hammerby. I was really surprised we didn't see her today against the Spanish defence. Um, but I think that would be my concern is where is this next generation of Swedish players coming through, which can maybe take them to that next level, especially when it comes to attacking? Because, yeah, we know Sweden can defend but they need to show more going forward, I think, to really compete at a level whereby you get one chance and you have to take it because that's what that's what World Cup semifinals yeah. are. Yeah. Massively lacking creativity in their team. Coming back to Spain, and I, I know it's only the, the results only just happened an hour or so ago, ago, so there won't be like, you know, tons of reaction to dig into yet. But obviously we're all feeling a certain type of way and a bit strange about this. What's the immediate reaction been like in Spain on your social media feed or also in the in the tv coverage like how is this going down in the country because it still is a historic moment yeah yeah it is it is and it's it's it can be denied uh the tv coverage is really is i mean the 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 person who broadcasts the game is like a journalist but the people who are analysts are ex-players from the national team and from from uh, they are historic let's be honest they are historic uh, spanish players like Marta Corredera, who played at Arsenal and many, many other teams. And also uh, Sonia Bermudez, who is an, a historic goal scorer for Spain. And then on social media, you have like the different reactions. There are people who are fully into what Spain is going through because they remember the players from 20 years ago, from 30 years ago, from even 10 years ago, or even people like Vero Boquete, who got blacklisted from the national team um, a little less than a decade ago. They are remembering these players and they are happy. The people from Spain that are that are at the World Cup, they are ecstatic with the wins and with the with the tears of happiness that every player is experiencing. And then because I am from Barcelona and I'm, and I well my Twitter feed is mainly mainly made from Barcelona fans and Barcelona people. There are players that say, uh, be happy for uh, the players. Uh, there are people saying, be happy for the players, not for Bilda, because he doesn't deserve any credit. Um, and there are other people that say, I wish I could enjoy this more, because I do believe these players deserve this. I do believe these players uh, 
are in a position that they have fought for for almost every single day of their careers but i just can feel fully fully happy this is what i'm getting from from my tour defeat and do you think do you think do you think the public will engage and watch that final and uh, and and be up for it because it's still a spanish spanish national team having success i do i actually i, I do and there are people that are getting into it because well who who doesn't like to jump on the winning wagon right and i think for the final uh, it's a really good hour in spain really because it's at 12 uh, 12 p.m in spain the, the final and it's a sunday so i think people will be invested it would not shock me i'm not i'm not giving any information this is only opinion but it would not shock me if like a city like madrid the capital or other cities uh put up a big screen on a like a a, a centric square of the city just to mm. watch the game I, th- I I really think that this would be something that Spain has done in the past and they can do it again. So I really think that Spain is going to turn up for the final because um, when I'm when I thought about how Spain would do in this World Cup, I thought, well, I, I have been following the women's uh, w- women's football for a long time, for a long time. And I know some things that have been happening. But the other reality is if you maybe are a 10-year-old who's starting to watch football, if you maybe are just a, a man in your 40s and you're starting to watch women's football, you don't know anything about what has happened in the past, you're just enjoying your country winning and you want to continue that experience. So I really do think that many people will tune in in the final and will watch the the final, uh, whether it's England, whether it's Australia, it doesn't matter. They will watch the final, I think. Well, Mark, I hope this has been some kind of therapy for you because I know it's it's a weird it's, one it's and we're all feeling a bit strange yeah, and it's it tough. It's tough, but we appreciate you coming on. Hopefully maybe speak to you ahead or after the final as well. Enjoy it as best you can. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you and our shoulders are here to cry on whenever <laughs> you need, my friend. Nice one, Mark. I appreciate the the invite again, and well, I, I'll be I'll do a bit of a shameless promo because I won't I won't I don't think I be I'll be able to join you in a post final because uh, I work at a Catalan radio station and will be broadcasting the final live. Uh-huh. So I hope you enjoy uh, the game because you're all in Australia and you I will I have the utmost envy for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, thank uh, you yeah, my I friend. hope you, you have a nice one and well since you're, you're all English let's hope Samker wins right thank you, <laughs> thank you. well on that note on yeah. that note we are going to chat a little bit and preview England's game against Australia next guys let's quickly touch on England's game against Australia because it is massive I'm I'm not too nervous. I'm very excited. I'm feeling good about this game uh, because I think the fact that England have been there and done that just changes everything drastically right now. It puts me in a whole different headspace. But, and Tony Gustafsson spoke about this today, Australia do have the home crowd and that can make a massive difference. How? What are our vibe check before the big game tomorrow? Um, vibe check, obviously very excited about our team doing what they've done with the Euros and now in a World Cup where... They were one of the teams where, let's say the form going in is really dodgy, really dodgy form going in, you know, but we're going in as one of the favourites and we're there. We're in the semi-finals and we've, because we've proved that we know how to play tournament football. But one of the things that was very fortunate for us in the Euros 
was the day of the game, Pop was injured. And like now, we've got a situation where, for me, the best number nine in the world is ready to go. So this kind of, this, this for me, it's, it's different. It's different now with what we're going to try and deal with. And yes, there's players who know Sam Kerr because they played with her, whether she starts or whether she comes on. Sam Kerr's a big, a big game player. She hasn't really announced herself in this tournament yet. She hasn't, she hasn't done that. And you just feel that as much as I'm excited and I know that we're resolute, our defence has been very, very good, it's Sam Kerr. And if I'm going to mm. sit here and not say I'm not afraid of that, that's the thing that worries me most. Jesse, that's the funny thing, though, because you, you, me and my brother were talking about this yesterday, is that actually the friendly defeat in April... I don't really care about that whatsoever. There is zero trauma, zero PTSD about that fateful rainy night at Brentford. I've wiped that from my memory. Apart from having to sit in the rain apart from at ha- Brentford. Yeah, apart from having to sit in the rain. That was pretty terrible. <laughs> what really gives me sleepless nights is the Olympic game. Team GB, obviously it's not England, but Team no, GB no, against no. Australia, which felt like to me a bit more of a heebie-jeebie scenario in which the ghost of Sam Kerr could really kind of awaken. And that I think that's the only thing I'm thinking, oh, like Kerr is so good and she excels in the WSL. She excels against Mary Earps. Bright knows her, but Kerr knows Bright. It, there's just a lot of things that if Kerr is fit and firing, she could seriously cook tomorrow. Listen, Flo, <laughs> what happened under Hegarisa <laughs> stays. Under Hegarisa. Okay. <laughs> this is a different side. This is not a side that has picked a different centre back pairing for every game of this tournament, like that woman did. Um, <laughs> I also don't think Sam is fully fit. She's not. Like, she's not. Watching her, she's just not fully fit. I understand the fear. I saw um, Harry Edwards' great Chelsea Stato tweets that Sam has. Nine goals in nine appearances for club and country against Mary Earps. Um, So if she does play, she'll be feeling herself. But I also think what I kind of feel about watching her is that because she's not fit, she, I don't think right now, has that same confidence. Like the confidence that's seeing her sort of spin at King's Meadow and lob that goal in to win the WSL. It's the B. It's the BDE. Think, she doesn't have the BDE I think right she, now. No, I, Jess, this is what I'm saying. It's just <laughs> what I'm trying to what I'm trying to explain to people is that um, the personality, the, the what she's what she's built for, what she's about, and you know, to doubt what she may be capable of doing could be the biggest mistake because when players of that stature are in and around. And we're talking about the latter stages of a World Cup, the semi-finals to get in the finals in your home country. It's going to things happen. Big players, they do yeah, stuff. Yeah, but don't don't you think when she was playing against France, I found it so bizarre that like every time she picked up the ball on the edge of the area, she was looking to make the yeah. pass. And like that for me was strange. That for me felt like I don't I'm not doubting her. Like Trust me. Was that the one when she I, ran down the left and tried to knock it across to the side? Is that the one, main one? There was, there, a was, there was one shot as well where she, where she snatched it and it went way over the bar. Like as soon as she came on, she snatched it. No, but it. It, wasn't, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that she was taking, it was that she wasn't taking the shots. That was what, I don't care about, like Sam could shoot as much as she wants. Like whatever. It was that she wasn't taking the shots that made me just feel like, hmm, doesn't feel like you're in that mode that real beast mode 
that we see when she's truly at her best. And maybe she's gonna have found that extra bit of confidence in her body. And I don't know, Rati, maybe you can like talk talk to this more, but like, I don't know how how it feels like if you're coming back from an injury, if you've had, like, if you feel like maybe you've missed this opportunity, mm. like surely your head's not like there in the same way mm. it is if you've been the, banging in the goals. Yeah, yeah but the thing of it is, Jess, is that why, um, it's, it's a good question because she doesn't seem, when you see her sprinting and running, um, she doesn't seem like she's trying to hide something. She's not trying to not run. She's not hiding anything because obviously the calf, it, it, she's very explosive in the way she moves. So there's no reason for her to not be shooting, right? So I can't explain that because it's not like, mm, it was her groin. And if she catches it wrong, then, you know, you, 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 you kind of do the groin. It's her calf, which is not something that's going to cause her a problem if she's shooting. So I, I don't know why she wouldn't have taken those shots, for what reason she doesn't take those shots. But I just feel that the injury that she's had was kept her out is not something that should stop her from doing uh, stuff like shooting and that. Like, for instance, if it was a thigh muscle or if it was a groin and you're trying to stretch and you hit it wrong and then you pull it out. So this is why I'm worried because I just feel that She'll do something. She's against think, people. Go on. Do you think it? Ha do you think it has to be Kerr though? Do you think if 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 it's not Kerr, then Australia can't do it? No, no. I still think that um, our left side. I mean, our right side and their left is a big is a big problem. Hmm. You know, Caitlin, um, Caitlin Fall and and, Ste and Steph, um, Steph Catley. They have been brilliant as a, as a as a duo. And you have to say, Lucy Bronze and Jess Park, just just down that side. You know, it's. They're gonna they're gonna come under it. They're gonna come under that pressure. You know what I mean? I feel that we need to make sure that we're we're close enough. We have to be very dynamic. We have to be stopping them playing in their face. Get the ball into the into our our third linking play and 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 trying to take a chance. We need to do something because even if we score, I don't believe it's gonna it's gonna silence that crowd. So any spell that they have in the game is gonna light that crowd up. We need to do something to get them coming at us. Something that I think will be really interesting is what that midfield battle looks like. Because I think Ian's right in saying that the, the flanks, like clearly we know that's how Australia like to attack, whether it's going to be Ford. I'm, I'm almost less worried about that side because of how good I thought Jess Carter did look against Colombia, although I think this is a level up. I'm maybe more concerned about the potential of Rasso running in between. Greenwood and Daly, but so much of feeding those players has been about Katrina Gori and Kyra Cooney Cross. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how England match up against them, especially because, you know, we do have that slightly different formation. It's not like they're playing France again when everyone's like matching up player for player. We're going to have Kira sitting and then Stanway and presumably Toon ahead. And I do think that if Stanway and Toon can work to cut off those balls, and we saw France do it, and, and Australia didn't really have an answer for long periods of time, but as the game went on, it felt like they were able to get on the ball a bit more. But I do think that if Gori and Cooney Cross can be kept quiet, it limits that service out wide or it forces them to take a different direction and potentially opens up space in that midfield 
And I think that could be a really key area for England if they are going to get an attacking an attacking and a defensive advantage, to be honest. You know what game. we need to do? What I'd love to see us do, and I only saw Georgia Stanway doing it a few times in the game um, the other day, is that we're not from the from passing out of the back. There's There's instances where someone from the midfield hasn't quite closed us down in the midfield. And what we've done when the ball's gone into the midfield, they've passed it straight back. Now, I don't know what's happening with the with the communication, but there's times where I've seen Kira Walsh could turn, Ella Toon could turn. I've seen Georgia Stanway a couple of times, she does the same, but she turned as well. When we turn and we're able to then face them up because the midfield has not got to us quick enough, then we could pass it through those lines. That is when we cause teams problems. That's how we actually scored the goal with Leslie's goal. You know, it's when when Georgia Stanmore was able to get that little bit of time and pass it through. Yeah, we got a bit of luck with the the way the ball ran for her in the box. But then she showed, bam, half chance she's taken it. We've got to be trying to go through the centre of the pitch more. You know, we've got to be playing that more. We, we, it's so slow sometimes. It's easy. It's easy for us because we go around the sides, we go inside, we come back out, we go back again, and it's, people are comfortable. People are just comfortable, you know? So I, I, I just want us to just passing it quicker. It, it just might seem like, oh, here, here we go. No, just pass it quicker, move quicker, mock information, get the ball through the lines. Yeah, yeah. And like we said today, it's, just, it's a World Cup semi-final. It's going to come down to those fine yeah, moments margins, and those fine yeah. margins. Think about that USA England game in 2019. There was some damn fine margins in that one. We will, of course, be back tomorrow night reflecting on England, Australia. Strap yourselves in 75,000 people in Stadium Australia in Sydney. I reckon probably... 10 million watching in Australia, perhaps, um, and England. It's going to be absolutely massive. So, good luck, guys. We'll see you all then.